Jesus, you're so much better than us. You, you are so good in our lives, and you bless us in so many ways. And, and Lord, I just want to acknowledge that right now with my friends, that, that you are the only thing worthy of our worship. And I just pray that you tear down some walls in our lives. You expose our hearts and the things and the appetites that we have and in the, the addictions that we go through, Lord. I just pray that you can peel the layers back in our lives and that we, we can see you work. See you work in us and we, we trust that you will do that. Holy Spirit, convict us and, and bring us closer to your throne. We love you and it's your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, the book of Romans. Book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 7. Uh, it's on the worksheet, so I mean, if you don't want to put in the effort of finding the scripture, it's on there. Um, but I'd encourage you to open up your, up, open up your Bible. Uh, and while you're heading there, I just want to kind of uh, lay out how this morning is going to look. So first of all, uh, we're going to be looking at, like what I prayed about, our appetites and our addictions. Now, I'm not going to talk about whether you want to get pizza or like if you want to get Mexican food after this for lunch today, not that sort of appetite, um, but rather our soul's appetite. The things that we naturally resort to in our discomfort, in our fear, in our insecurity, in our isolation, in our celebration, in our families, and, and just in the things that we, the nat that we naturally resort to in our lives that when we feel like we are lacking or there's a hole to fill or there's a gap to close. And so we all have these things, whether they're good or whether they're bad appetites, we all have them. We are all hungry for something. Our hunger is inevitable. We're all hungry for something, like, yes, for food, but for soul food, too. We're all hungry for something, but it's our appetites, however, that we cultivate, that we refine, that we are particular with, and that... that that we make up over time. It's our appetites that what we want to eat, we build up. And so we're going to go even further than that and look at how our appetites can and, and over time accumulate and transform into things in our lives that, that can control us and, and that can change what we want. And they begin to change who we are, right? And at this point, we become addicted to these things. And because we've grown so accustomed to this thing in our lives that we just simply couldn't function without it. We become addicted to it. And my friends, this morning, I want us to be set free from our appetites and addictions, from our broken appetites and addictions. So let's go to God's word uh, in, in Romans 7. This is, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul, and he just gets brutally honest. He gets um, super transparent about the desires of of his heart. And he just lays it out there. Um, chapter 7, verse 13 starts like this. Okay. It reads, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the command it might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I'm sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Okay. A couple of weeks back, I uh, saw that I was going to be preaching on appetites and addictions, and I thought to myself, like, okay, I'm I'm not really, like, addicted to anything, right? I don't don't think I am. And I thought about this, and I thought it was going to be kind of, you know, difficult, preaching on something I don't experience, something I don't know much about. And I was looking at the subject, and I was reading God's Word. And, well, first of all, I was humbled at that point. Um, And and I thought, um, because God's really good at reminding you that you're not that well put together as you think you are, right? And so he does it in love. Um, But I was reading, uh, and I I was led to this passage in Romans, and uh, what became so apparent to me was that deep down in our lives, we all have this universal appetite for something outside of ourselves, something that we find satisfaction in. It has to be something, And like I mentioned already, our appetites can over time accumulate and transform into things in our lives that can control us and change what we want. And so they begin to change who we are. We all have these appetites. And furthermore, we all have this tendency to become addicted to the things we have an appetite for. In its simplest form, I could say that we are all addicts. We are all addicts to something. We're all hardwired to be addicted to something. Some people might say, oh, I don't have an addictive personality. Well, maybe your personality isn't, but your heart is, okay? Because that's what God's Word says. And I'm not saying we're all like tweakers in the kingdom of God. We're not. I'm saying we are all addicted to finding satisfaction in something outside of ourselves. And it's either satisfaction in our flesh and its desires or satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And when I talk about flesh, and when I mention flesh, I'm not saying that your body is evil because God made you, and he calls his creation good. He loves you. It is affected by sin, though. It ages, and it withers, and it, it's tainted with sin. It dies. It decays. But God doesn't make something that is bad, but bad things make his good things not so good anymore, right? Right? And so when something that is not so good anymore tries to seek satisfaction in the other things that aren't so good anymore, those not so good things cannot reach the best thing. And that's where we're at. And so when I talk about flesh and fleshly desires, I mean this. It's, it's long, but it's on your worksheet. It's kind of a definition of what I'm talking about. The flesh is any human action any human characteristic, any human achievement or identity that is not rooted in closeness with God and doesn't result in glorifying, exalting in, trusting in, and worshiping Jesus Christ. Any tendency, any identity, anything about ourselves that is not under the authority of Jesus Christ, that doesn't seek to worship him, that doesn't seek to glorify him, That is our flesh. 
Not just our bodies. Yeah, those are broken. They're decaying, all that. But there's bigger problems at hand than just our bodies. And so it's either satisfaction in ourselves and our broken appetites, which is our flesh, or it's satisfaction in Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, we can uh, see this tension in the life of, of Paul dealing with the desires of his flesh and, and knowing that he ought to pursue righteousness, he ought to pursue God and, and God's will, but he is battling this innate desire to pursue the things of this world, to fulfill his appetites in the things of this world. And, and we can see it right there in verse 18. For I know, it says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He says that he knows that there's nothing good that dwells in him. He is prone to wander. He's a broken man. He's a sinner, someone in need of a savior. And he says, I have the desire to do what is right, though. But what he doesn't have is the ability to do something about it. This is knowing what you should do, but not doing it. You know the feeling? I certainly do. Paul certainly did. We can know in our heads what godly living is, and we can be quick to judge others on what we know godly living should be, but when we just know it in our heads and not in a changed heart, we will fail at godly living ourselves. We simply cannot do it. We'll be relying on our flesh to bring about sanctification in our lives where we should be relying on the grace of God. So that, that's the heart issue that we're dealing with. We all have this deep down appetite that can go to addictions, so what is it for you? Where do you find your satisfaction? We all have them. Here's, I just want to kind of go over a list of some pretty obvious ones. Some pretty obvious red flags. Um, the first one is food. This one's easy. I mean, maybe you find security and comfort when you're eating. But this isn't like eating to survive. This is eating to escape your situation right? And food seems like it's maybe the only thing that is consistent in bringing satisfaction in your life. It's the only thing that is consistent in bringing comfort in your life, and you can't resort to anything else but eating food, right? Maybe it's intimacy and pleasure. This one's huge. All, all you want is to feel close. All you want is to feel cared for you and in your life. And if you're dating, you'll go through person by person just, just to kind of feel important without committing to any deep godly relationship. Or you'll go to any means to get pleasure, right? And go to any website, look at any person to feel enticed. And next week we're going to be talking about lust and um, all of that. So, but maybe you're, that's what you're addicted to. I'm not going to go any further because I don't want to step in Tom's territory. I've done that before. Not doing it again, Okay. Maybe it's alcohol. Listen, this one's like the easiest way to escape your present situation, your present reality. I mean, that's what it does. And there's so much talk about how much is too much, and everybody has a different limit. Some guys are like, oh, I hold my liquor well, and 
Some people don't hold their liquor well, whatever. I think it's funny that humanity is really good at trying to get as close to sin as they possibly can without actually touching it. Isn't that true? Here's the deal. If you are trying to justify every sip that you are taking of liquor as just almost there, I'm just on the cusp, I would just stop. It's not even worth playing that great game to try and get that close. And that goes for anything. It's not worth playing that game to get as close as you possibly can. You know what happens. Or if you feel like you cannot be satisfied with your life or with your family, with your leisure activities, with your fellowship, with your friends, without having a couple of drinks or without getting drunk, there's an issue there. There's a problem that has to be addressed in your life. And the same with like drugs. It's the same as alcohol. We can escape quickly. We can escape effectively. We can be blasted with this overwhelming sense of satisfaction and joy and pleasure and ecstasy with some of those drugs out there. But here's the deal. Living a godly life is a means to an end when it comes to finding joy. So we live this way because we know that even when the means to getting us where we are to go to find joy, it's going to be rough. We still know that the joy in store for us is plentiful. It is a crazy amount of joy. Whereas using substances to find joy is a means to a means. There's no end It's a way to feel immediate pleasure, immediate joy, immediate satisfaction, and then the moment that you come down off of it, you are robbed of that. You are robbed of it, so you do it again. And then you would do it again. And these means to joy lead to other means that will never lead to an end of joy. And it's a cycle, right? Another thing is technology. A while back, um, I blocked Facebook and Instagram and really any like social media off of my phone, and it was it was honestly crazy. Like, I would open up my phone and immediately click where my Facebook app was or like where my Instagram app was, thinking it was there. And when it didn't open, I, I was confused. It it would take me a second to like realize why it wasn't there. I'm just sitting there by myself, thinking like, man. Is it really that bad? (laughs) Like, that I would just open it up and immediately click where I thought it would be, just mindlessly, and it not being there. I'm like, what? Was I that addicted? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It came natural to wake up and just look at my feeds, even before I'd pray. If I had a second in the day, I would take a look, just mindlessly, just kind of kill some time. And like, how harmless can it be? It's just Instagram, it's just Twitter, right? Here's the deal. Some of my closest friends that suffer from depression and anxiety, every single one of them has an obsessive use of social media and technology in their lives whether it's video games, whether it's Reddit or it's 
Twitter, every single one of them uses that to cope with it. Now, that's not like a real statistic. You're not going to see that on the cover of a psychology magazine or anything like that. But I think that you can relate to it. You may know some people like this. You may be like this. Me too. There's a bunch of appetites out there. And the things that I just went over, those are like, it's like four or whatever. There's like so much more. It doesn't matter who you are. You're constantly surrounded by things that are trying to draw your attention to them and ultimately wanting you to be satisfied in them. And in this reality, this is what we call temptation. When we know who we are in Christ and who he is calling us to be, yet the things around us, the things from our past, our appetites, and to make things even worse, an actual enemy of our souls, these things are looking for ways to rob us of our satisfaction in Jesus. And these things come to the surface and they test us in our faith. And this is temptation. But man, when we get to this point, I am, I am so glad to share with you guys this morning that there is an insane amount of hope when we face temptation. This, let, let's get to it. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, I actually put uh, Philippians 10, 13 on here, um, but turns out that doesn't exist. So I, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Jermaine was like, hey, um, 10, 13. I was like, yeah, 10, 13. He was like, that's not real. I was like, you sure? I was wrong. Um, I just got it wrong. So let's, let's look to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It reads, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So first things first. One, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Meaning this, you are not alone. You are not alone in this. There are brothers, there are sisters that are dealing with this thing probably right now that want to come alongside you and go through it together. I'll just go through it together, my friends. You are not alone. And then the second thing we see in this is that God is faithful. He is so faithful. And how is he faithful? Number three, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's how he's faithful. He is in control. He's in control in your life. Now, this doesn't mean he's not going to give you more than you can handle. Because this is, that's, there's a huge difference between that and letting you not being tempted beyond your ability. Will God give you more than you can handle? Heck yes. He will. This verse is always taken out of context. Um, he will give us more than we can handle. Not to crush us, but to get our attention to get us to stop trying to use all of these silly things in our lives to find satisfaction because he knows that we will need him above anything else. Because the deal is, like, any temptation is more than we can handle, more than we can handle because we can't handle anything. We need him. 
We need him to get through the things that we can't handle on our own. And my friends, that list is very long because it's everything. And number four, it says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. And so where is our way of escape? Where is our way of escape? Let's go to Hebrews 4.15. This is it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is the way out. We need Jesus, who is our high priest. We can't do it on our own. We have broken appetites. We have broken weaknesses. We have confusion. We have limitations of all kind. We also have sins in our lives. And therefore, at the bottom of our hearts, we know that we, we don't deserve the help that we need. We feel trapped in those things. And we need help in our lives. Help to handle death in our lives. Help to cope with eternity. We need help with our families, our spouses, our, our children, our isolation, our, our loneliness, our jobs, whatever our health. We need help. And we can try to deny it all. We can try and deny that we need any help at all and be these mega humans, be bulletproof without any need for help or assistance, or we can try to drown it all away with substances, with drugs, with alcohol, food, entertainment. We can be paralyzed by our, our fear, our despair, our sadness. But God declares over the situations in our lives that Jesus Christ is our high priest that does sympathize with our lives more than anyone else because he went through it on the cross. He knows exactly what your appetites are that you struggle with. He knows exactly what addictions you face. He says, in every respect, he has been tempted as we are. And because of this, it says, we can walk with confidence to the throne of grace and find mercy and find love and find joy and find peace. You are not trapped. Say no to that lie. You can walk to his throne and get help. You can have it right now. You have it forever. Our appetites can be cultivated to find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Not by us being dedicated enough or being a better Christian, but by Jesus Christ changing your heart, changing your desires, changing your appetite, not for the things of this world, but for the things of God. And so I want to end with this. I want to end with some simple ways that Jesus gives us new appetites. Um, by, by his grace, we first of all need to change our spiritual diet. Change our spiritual diet. 
If you change your diet, your appetite will soon follow, right? I want you to imagine someone that, um, that only eats like burgers, fries, pizza, cake, chicken wing, whatever, um, all the major delicious food groups, right? Um, and imagine that this is all they ate. And somewhere along the line, they develop a, like, a heart condition, like surprise, honestly. And then they're do- uh, and they, they have a, maybe like a mild heart attack or something, and they survive it. Uh, they would most likely go to their doctor, and the doctor would ask them, like, well, what was your diet, man? Like, what's going on? Well, it was burgers, fries, pizza, um, cake, chicken wings, all of the major delicious food groups, right? Um, and, of course, the doctor is not surprised. He puts them on a diet regimen of vegetables, fish, low-fat, low-sugar, all the, all the healthy stuff, right? Now, at first, the diet is bland, not much interest in it. Um, but after a few months, this person actually started feeling like the energy and like the focus and the, and the health benefits of this diet. And they go back to the doctor and he asks them like, oh, how's it going, man? Like, how is it going for you? And, you know, they respond, it's going better than I thought, actually, because not only am I somewhat enjoying the food that I'm making and that I'm eating now, but I hardly ever want to try the things that I was eating before. It makes me sick to my stomach if I want to pick up some French fries. Now, this story isn't totally realistic because the gospel is like far greater than some cauliflower, but, and it's also not that easy, Um, but neither is our spiritual health. Neither is our spiritual health, and just like our bodies benefit from a healthy diet, so does our spirit. The spiritual food that we eat will determine our spiritual health. It's that simple. This is true whatever the diet happens to be. So if our congregation, if Bethany is fed entertainment, then we will create an appetite for entertainment in our church. If we feed Bethany the prosperity gospel, then we will cultivate and have a hunger and thirst for prosperity in our church. If we feed our congregation the word of God, then over time, we will have a church that has a great hunger and thirst for God. Our diet shapes over our appetite over time. This is a fundamental principle. You will want more of whatever you feed yourself on. So that means we want to choose our diet very carefully. It means that instead of wanting what we want first, we want what benefits other people and what God wants for other people. It means we are passionate prayers it means we are soaked in the word of God, in the Bible. It means we're longing to be with one, or with one another, to go through life with one another. It means we hunger and we thirst for Jesus Christ himself. And on your worksheet, there's a, a few verses that are such easy reminders of our hunger and thirst for God. And there's so much more scripture uh, based on this, but I'd encourage you just to maybe look those up, but I want to challenge you while you read through your daily prayer on the back side of the worksheet, go ahead and read these verses as well. They're pretty short. They say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Do you want to be set free from your current appetites? Because they're not easy to let go of. And, and I know you may not know what it's like to not have them in your life. But my friends, you can trust that one, Jesus will set you free from them. And two, he will keep you from them. God does not set us free from something without securing us in something else. There's no limbo. He doesn't just set us free from the things that we're in bondage to and then let us loose without securing us in the promises he makes to us. In fact, the only thing that we can turn to that will keep us from going to some other cheap remedy is his promises. His word. And yes, we can be all too quick to try and turn elsewhere. We can. I've done that and try to fall back into it. But if we hold on to his promises, he will every time give us the strength to persevere. He says, you need to only seek after him. And while we seek comfort and security, whether it's food Jesus offers us comfort and security in him. Whether it's seeking intimacy and pleasure in the world, Jesus offers us the most intimate relationship ever with him. And while we seek relief and escape our present realities in alcohol and drugs, Jesus offers to bring us peace and relief in our lives. We are hungry for something. I pray that you are hungry for Jesus, that you want to be hungry for Jesus, because nothing else will satisfy. Let's pray. Lord, there's no other name to call upon to yours. Well, we may think that the appetites and the things in our lives that we so naturally resort to are things that we can overcome ourselves. Lord, when we fall again and again and again, you still pick us up. Lord, I don't want to try on my own anymore. May we trust in you to bring us out of those appetites. And Lord, I ask that you not only bring us out of those appetites, but give us yours. Give us your hunger, your thirst for the things that you want us to do. Lord, so many of us are struggling on our own, and God, we just proclaim that we need you. We seek you, Lord, and we worship you right now. 
It is your holy and precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.